Patriots Daily is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. What's going on, everyone? Taylor Kyles here for CLNS Media. We are still on Bill Belichick watch here in Pat's Nation, but we've got plenty of news to cover. We heard about Mike Vrabel today, Josh McDaniels, a little bit of Scott Pioli. And we also got a very illuminating piece from Trent Brown, who gave a behind the scenes look at how he feels about some of the narratives that have been spun about him this season, as well as how he feels about some of the things going on in the building. That piece was written by Dakota Randall, so I figured why not have him on to talk about the piece and give his thoughts on some of the things we learned about today. Thank you so much for coming on, buddy. How you doing? I'm good, man, and I'm just glad that uh, you know I can join now. We don't have to spend a single second talking about draft scenarios and, mm. and draft math. That is, <laughs> pencils down, so it is. Uh, I'm glad that's behind us. Definitely don't miss the headache that was trying to do all that math, but. Yeah. Like I said, you had a really good piece today for Ness and talked about Trent Brown uh, because obviously there's been so many reports going on this year about did he give up on the team? You know, he was a healthy scratch in the one game where it kind of seemed like, all right, maybe, you know, all the rumors was a little bit something to them. So I want to get your perspective. You share uh, what you wrote on the piece and also just what you think personally, maybe expand if you'd like. First, shooting down some of the BS reports and inaccurate leaks. Could you touch on what exactly those were and how he felt about those reports? Because he, uh, he never wanted to hold back on what he thinks, and he really didn't agree with some of the stuff that's been said about him this season. Yeah, you know, and, and some of that goes back with Trent, goes back to earlier in the season around um, the the when he didn't make the trip out to Germany because he, mm-hmm. he missed the two games after the Miami. Um, he... Played against Miami that didn't play against Washington and Indianapolis. The Indianapolis game was in Germany. Um, and if you remember around then, there was the report um, that he had been habitually late to meetings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was around that time that he had a death in the family. I, I believe his uncle, he was still injured. Um, and, you know, that's when uh, Trent first started speaking up both to me and to other reporters, um, really pushing back against that stuff about the uh, the fact that he was late to meetings and in and, and, and particularly transparent way, which, you know, as a reporter piqued my interest. I'm like, this is someone who I'd like to talk to down the road. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, you know, so he was uh, very candid while talking to him, which obviously, again, I, I really appreciated. And yeah, I mean, you know, he said a lot of stuff in there about a variety of topics, including, you know, the what's what he thinks is wrong with the current state of the Patriots, both from a personnel standpoint and from just a general franchise philosophy standpoint, how they treat players. Um, and, but it, it, the real thing he wanted to get across and what I tried to do with the story, which was just let him tell his side of the story uh, was fighting back against what he thought was, you know, unfair reports about him, uh, you know, not being willing to battle through injuries either because he had an eye toward free agency or because he didn't want to risk, getting hurt and suffering a season ending injury, which would have, you know, ruined his chance at getting usage rate uh, incentives, which he wound up not getting anyway, Um, Mm -hmm. that he thought that was, was bogus Um, that he just generally was tough to motivate during what was a lost season for the Patriots. Uh, The report from the Herald that he was uh, openly speaking in the locker room a day after the game about wanting to play Mm -hmm. for an NFC team. Uh, He, you know, was really, uh, I have no reason to doubt the reporting from, Doug and Andrew on that, but Trent, you know, obviously offered a, a full denial of that. Um, you know, and as far as my personal feeling, you know, um, I, I do think, you know, some of it, I'm, you know, Trent's got to look out for him. He wants to kind of clear his name as he goes into free agency. And I'm sure that's part of it. I mean, I'm sure, you know, he's not going to come out and say that he, 
you know, did a terrible job of being a professional this year. Uh, so, you know, some of it you got to take with a grain of salt, of course. But I do think it's, you know, he does. I, I do want to back him up on some of the things in that, you know, he did play through a lot last year. He played all 17 mm-hmm. games. It was, I think, the game against Chicago. He was really sick. Uh, and, and he still went out there and played. I uh, thought, he, you know, he deserves credit for that. Um, he played really well over the first seven or eight weeks this season. He was one of the best tackles in football, and he really did battle through injuries. I mean, I saw him in the locker room after that game in Miami. I think you were there as well. Yeah. Uh, he could not walk. I mean, that was legit. Um, and so I think, you know, all of that's true, and he battled through that concussion early in the season. Um, but, you know, whether or not he kept that up once the season started to go in the tank, you know, that's up for debate, and obviously he he shared his his thoughts on that. Of course, and I will say I was on the train of trying to defend Trent Brown for a lot of the season, especially because of what he did last year. Like, I think it was before the Bills game where the guy lost was like 10 pounds or something because he was so sick, still yeah. didn't miss a game. You mentioned in the piece that he battled. I am not advocating for this. I wish he hadn't done it, but he fought through a concussion in the first game of the season. And then, like you said, he saw how hobbled he was, and he was still trying to fight back against Buffalo this year. He got rolled up on and still tried to play and finish the game. I think if you're really watching the game and you know we have the access to really see how hard he battled in terms of seeing what it did to him after these games – it was pretty clear that this wasn't a dude who was just, you know, playing for himself. It looked like he was trying to play for his team. Things just got a little wonky when it came to, you know, the play in Denver where we see there's the play where he's out in space. I think it was on a screen and just kind of looking around. Right. Is there any context that he added about the on-field effort? Because I feel like for years that's been the big thing with him where, you know, my piece in that has always been he's a big guy. I know you want him to throw his body around, but at some point it's just unrealistic for him to, you know, make some of the efforts people expect of him. So was there any context added to some of that criticism? Yeah, and, and I would agree. I mean, others have made the point that the the effort that he put forth in that Denver game did look below the bar. Um mm-hmm. uh, it, just to be, you know, you got to to call it as it is. What he said, and again, all I can really do is take him at his word, um, was that he I mean, he was sick for like the last five weeks of the season, really mm-hmm. sick. And he he did show up on the injury report a lot with an illness. Um, he said that he had uh, the flu and strep throat, which is why uh, in week 15, which is why he missed the charge or the, the game against the Chiefs when Connor McDermott suffered a season ending injury. Um, but he said that he felt like he had to tough it out for the game in Denver, um, despite still being really sick. So he went out there and played. Um, but the combination of you know, being very sick and not being able to breathe already, plus the altitude in Denver. Um, you know, he didn't feel uh, that 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 he was able to, you know, go out there and 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 really play at a high level. He he said it was tough to come off the bench cold against what he described as you know guys on the edge running four fives that are in the flow of the game. Um, that he didn't he it was hard for him to get up to speed based on how he felt and just coming off the bench cold uh, and in an environment that was cold. And so the other, but the other thing is he he continually and repeatedly said uh, that one of the things he wanted to do was prop up Vidarian Lowe, who he thought was playing mm-hmm. really well, who I agree was playing well at the end of the season. Now, you know, and then I heard people making the point this this point on the radio today, and I don't necessarily disagree that like you know as a as a competitor, like you'd think you'd want to be like whatever. I still want to be out there, but he said he just was like the team's playing well, Vidarian's playing well. Don't screw up the rotation. That's what he said about it. Um, but he said he was really sick and not feeling well in Denver. And then he said when he got when the team got back, uh, he had developed bronchitis uh, that he found out early in the week. And then when he went into the uh, facility on Wednesday, they gave him an inhaler. 
and he said he had a bad reaction to it um, that really messed him up. And then he wasn't playing any, feeling any better Thursday. He, when he returned Friday, he didn't get any reps in practice. And so that led to the healthy scratch, which we all sort of wrote down as a healthy scratch. And it still seems that way. But if Trent is telling the truth, then it really wasn't a healthy scratch because he was very sick. Um, how much that factored into this Patriots decision to make him inactive is, is you know, I guess still unclear. Uh, but I do believe him and I don't think it's, it's you know, I, I think it's true. He was very sick. Uh, throughout this the final quarter of the season, I think it impacted his play on the field and impacted the Patriots' willingness uh, to put him out there when they might have also wanted to get a look at Vidarian Low, which I don't blame them for that either. Yeah, especially knowing that he was sick in Denver and we knew how much like everything he was going through was impacting his play. I think I understand the criticism of saying, you know, you should be out there. You want to be a competitor, be on the field. But then if you're not playing well, fans are going to criticize you for being selfish and putting yourself out there when you're not playing at 100 percent. And you're I think at times it's fair to say he was a liability. Well, there were times where guys were beating him off the edge and he wasn't even getting a hand on them. And we like you said, he was one of the best tackles in football when the season started. So, you know, it was a very stark difference in his play. And when he was the healthy scratch, I feel like that twisted the narrative where it seemed like, yeah, this guy's really battling through some stuff. But then when you think he's healthy and then a healthy scratch, then it's okay, what's going on? And then all the effort stuff that's been following him for a while kind of creeps up. So, you yeah. know, I, I, I think it's understandable if the guy really did think, and because Lowe was playing better, and if, you know, Trent Brown's going out there saying, hey, I, you know, I'm cold, I'm not feeling well already, let Darian Lowe stay out there. He knows what this rusher's patterns are, all these things. I think it makes sense, but I also understand some of the criticism. But yeah. Another one of the interesting things in your report was how Brown wasn't happy with how he was being treated and how the play Patriots handle players in general. There were a lot of things you touched on. I want to make sure that you can cover them all. What were some of those things? And, you know, what were your thoughts on them in terms of, did it seem like maybe, you know, I'm not trying to be rude here, but did it seem like maybe excuse making or did it seem to you like some valid points that he was making? A little bit of both. You know, like for instance, mm -hmm. I look at the fact that he throughout the interview said it's all about all about the team. All I want to do is win. I always put the team first. Like I'm always going to do that. You know, and then he openly admits that he reports to the offseason program. Um, and then because the Patriots had him working with the twos um, that he thought that made no sense and it was stupid. So he decided to leave. Um, mm. and you know, so I'm like, and I, on the one hand, I get that. Like he's a veteran. He said he stayed away from OTAs cause he wanted to be a father. I totally get that, but it's hard. You know, we, we know how the Patriots feel about OTAs and the offseason program. Um, and that it really is, they want everybody to be there. And then, so just for it to not be the exact role that you wanted, um, now you're going to leave. Okay. But then it's hard to go after, after the fact, say all along you've always been for what's been the best interest of the team and, and try to absolve yourself of all guilt. like i don't think those two things square um and so yeah there, there were things like that um you know he but you know the most sort of illuminating stuff to me was you know he was saying that you know the team really is going to struggle to turn things around and, and attract free agents mm -hmm. and, and keep players re retain you know their in-house free agents uh, if they don't change the way they they treat some of these guys whether that be you know, giving them bi-week schedules at the very last minute so they have to book expensive flights or it upends their travel, whether it's what Trent described as an extremely hard off-season program um, that is not like, you know, off-season programs everywhere else. He, he thought he he was better off working out at home um, throughout the summer break rather than in Foxborough where he thought you put too much mileage on your body that can, that can hamper you in the long run. Um, 
you know, and, and he said that coaches told him that during uh, staff meetings, they were devising ways to sort of maybe lay like traps for him that would sort of expose his character or, you know, try and make them learn more about him or whether they could trust him. Um, you know, and, and when I asked him for examples, that's when he kind of harkened back to the stuff in the spring where, you know, maybe in, in a way, maybe they were right where if, you know, he, he talked about the example of, they said, we want you to report or we want you to report for the offseason program so that you can get your timing down with Cole Strange. Trent does that. He's not working with Cole Strange. He's working with the twos. And maybe that was the Patriots saying, let's see how you react to this. Trent reacted by saying, all right, I'm going home, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's just, I think there's a way that Patriots do things. Um, and I just don't think it jives with him. But I think you also have to point out that at the same time, there are a lot of players who, you know, they, they admit how tough it is, but they embrace it and they like it. Jabril Pepper is someone like that. David Andrews, Juwan Bentley, all these guys. It just might not be for someone like Trent, um, you know, and, and and he also added to me that, you know, the, the, the they no longer have the incentive of, of coming here to play with Tom Brady. He said that's gone. Mm -hmm. um, so he just said until they sort of change some of these things and treat players with what he called more respect and more common decency, uh, that they might struggle to attract the players that need to turn things around. Um, so I thought that all that stuff was pretty interesting. Yeah, and as an outsider, I mean, it does definitely sound strange when a team is looking for, as he put it, ways to F with him. You know, that definitely is a little odd to try to antagonize one of your best players. But at the same time, if you're someone where the team feels that they have to do that to see where your head's at or what your commitment is, it just, you know, it feels like a continuation of what's been a pretty toxic relationship where the Patriots decide not to invest in offensive tackle for years and they put themselves in a position where they have to kind of put up with, you know, some of the stuff that Trent Brown does do that they don't agree with. And then Trent Brown kind of has to go with it as well because it worked with him and he has a history with the team and, you know, maybe his market isn't great elsewhere, or at least it hasn't been in the past. And it just, you know, it's interesting. And then he also yeah. gave some insight. Oh yeah. I'm sorry. I was gonna say one quick note on, you know, his, his complaint about the schedules and how other teams around the league will like start of the season. They'll give all the players, here's your full schedule for the year. Or at least at the start of the month, they'll be like, here's everything you know, you need to know about this month. Whereas the Patriots, it might just be like the day, day before, or like with only a few days notice, you know, I, I, I don't know their reasoning for do that at different points in the year, but I, you know, I do know that a lot of times that is with the intention of they like to keep players on their toes. Um, mm. so that, that players like they don't know what to expect. And then how do they adjust? How do they handle curveballs when things aren't made easy for them? You know, an, an example being, you know, there will be times in training camp where we don't know, okay, it's Friday. Are they practicing Saturday? Are they, are they going to practice in two days? And the players also don't know. And I, I, mm. I know that part of that is them wanting uh, to keep the players on their toes and, and have to be ready for anything. Um, whether they should maintain that, like Trent said, at, you know, around the bye week when players want to know if they can go home, you know, that's up for debate. Uh, but I just wanted mm -hmm. to add that context. Also interesting when you, you know, we're in the midst of this whole Bill Belichick thing, will he stay or will he go? And then you talk about how they could potentially move on if he does go. It's a kind of area where you think a guy like a Gerard Mayo or a Mike Vrabel, who are former players, may have a different perspective on that and be able to walk that line of, we know how Belichick does things. We understand how this is valuable, but also we understand how we can tweak this as, you know, having our own opinions and our own feelings based on how this uh, happened with us when we were players. A lot of interesting stuff there. We got some more insights from Trent Brown I want to talk about. But real quick, word from our friends over at FanDuel. We'll be back. Well, the NFL season is wrapping up, but there is still time to get on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers 
get 150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's pretty good math, right? That's 150 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use and there are so many different ways to bet like live same game parlays. Find bets in the new Explore tab. Make a parlay in the Parlay Hub. The best way to find popular parlays and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash Boston to make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, Kentucky, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777, or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit GamblingHelplineMA.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. Yeah, so another illuminating part of this report was that Trent Brown seems to agree with the masses and that Mac Jones was not set up to succeed. One of the parts that I really found interesting was that he directly mentioned Ted Karras, how well he played before he was allowed to walk in for agency for what was a pretty solid deal, something it felt like the Patriots could match at the time. And then obviously they also got rid of Shaq Mason for a fifth round pick. You can debate, you know, whether that was a good move or not, because they did have Mike and Winu in waiting and, you know, they figured he was the future at that position. But what did Brown share with you in terms of Mac Jones, how they handled him and how they think he could, how Brown thought that he could potentially fare with the team moving forward? Yeah. Trent very much falls in the camp of that, you know, Mac doesn't deserve nearly as much blame as he's been getting that, uh, you know, he had a good rookie year. And then basically after that, he was set up to fail. I, I would agree with that take. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, certainly Mac Jones this year deserves some of the, like he des- deserves blame for the way he played. But, uh, you know, I, I believe that, you know, part of what happened to Mac and his unraveling was just an accumulation of so long of not being able to trust the blocking, not being able to trust the route running, not being able to trust the play calling, the whole operation around him, and eventually it all unraveled. Um, you know, Trent really highlighted uh, the, the 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 mismanagement of the offensive line after uh, Max' rookie season. Um, and you know, again, yeah, he he specified the uh, the decisions in the 2022 offseason to let Ted Karras, who you know played really well at left guard that season, uh, was a versatile member of the uh, member of the offensive line that could do a lot uh, to sign with the Cincinnati Bengals, then traded Shaq Mason. Uh, to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, you know, and, and and I actually did not mind that trade at the time because I thought, you know, you can you you should be able to develop a succession plan there. I don't mind that, um, but 
you know, what Trent said. And, you know, this one, this is one of those things where I had to present his quote the way he said it, but I, I, I wish I could have found a way maybe to present it in the, the what I, how I think he meant it. Cause he said, uh, I think if you don't trade, uh, if you pay Ted Karras, that solves an issue. I think if you don't trade Jack Mason, who's an all pro guard, that solves an issue. I don't think it was necessary for those moves to be made and then to not really replace them with guys of their caliber. I think some people maybe might read that comment as him maybe sending a shot at Cole Strangers of the world or City So mm -hmm. or Tony Amafi. I don't think that's how he meant it. I think he just meant, you know, the, the reality that if you're you, they didn't go replace Ted Karras and Shaq Mason with established, experienced NFL starters. They replaced mm -hmm. them partly with Cole Strange, who was an inexperienced rookie from Chattanooga State. And they went out and got, you know, City So and other mid-round picks the year after that, where none of these guys are established and they have a lot of development to do. They weren't ready-made replacements. Um, I think that was the point that he was making. Um, and so uh, he just generally thought the mismanagement of the O-line had a lot to do with Mac Jones's unraveling, as well as what we've all talked about, which is putting Patricia uh, at offensive play caller last year. Um, so it was interesting. And then, yeah, I asked him, like, do you think if they go out and draft a quarterback uh, at, the top of the, at the top of the draft this year, do you think you know, that they would be able to succeed uh, with the Patriots in their current state. And he said they would run into the same issues. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, Trent, Trent Brown, very much uh, a Mac Jones truther, if you will. I mean, I think a lot of what he said, I mean, I, it's what a lot of us have been saying. It's been pretty obvious that yeah. while Mac Jones, you know, the turnovers were inexcusable and no one's arguing against that. But he came into the league as someone it was well understood that he would need help. If he got support, he would be able to elevate his game with the accuracy, with the decision-making, with, you know, his cerebral play, all of that stuff. Didn't work out because, as Trent mentioned, you kind of take away his interior offensive line and then not that Trent said this, but also you don't really invest in the tackle spot, as I mentioned earlier, and then the inconsistency with receiver. Uh, but with all that said, and with as transparent as he was, do you think that there is a chance Trent Brown could actually return and do you think he even should return, considering, once again, this seems like it's been a pretty toxic relationship for quite some time? Well, I can't imagine he returns if <laughs> the, everything stays in place the way it is now, if it's Bill, if it's all that. You know, I, I'd be curious just in general what – and I know uh, you're, you're going to get into all this stuff, but if Mike Vrabel becomes the coach, how does that just change things from a player recruitment standpoint across the board? You know, to someone like – does that – just Trent Brown then, you know, look at it and say, well, things are going to change around here. I'll stay here. I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. But I think I just wonder what kind of impact. I think, you know, I, a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction is Mike Vrabel's a player's coach. Players will come here to play for him. Um, but I do still think players want to come play for Bill. Not every player mm -hmm. well, wants to play for Bill Belichick, but I do think he still is a draw. Um, to, to say that he's not, I, I think, is just people trying to, to craft a narrative. I do think he still is something that draws uh, players to New England, just not every kind of player. Um, but as far as Trent goes, if Belichick stays here, like there's no way. He said he'd be open to it, uh, but first they'd have to hash things out and, and kind of have an honest discussion with each other. Uh, I just don't, don't see it happening. But if there's a coaching change and it's someone from the outside and a total overhaul of the staff, you never know because they haven't developed a succession plan and they might be forced into a situation where they have to explore a reunion with Trent Brown. Um, cause they just don't have any other options. Yeah. Unless I they mean, draft somebody. Right. Right. Of course. I mean, and we, as we've said, Trent Brown is one of the best players in this position, but you also have to think about the fact that injuries have been a factor. He's getting older. At some point, you need to start investing in that offensive tackle spot, whether it's through the draft, through free agency, whatever it is, you right. need some youth there. You resign Trent or, oh, I'm sorry. You resign Mike and Wenu. 
that's great. If you want him at right tackle, you got that spot. But at left tackle, even if you do bring Trent Brown back, you need to have somebody who can potentially replace him. So considering, and we talked about this on the last show, offensive tackle, it's such a hard position to get a really good player. You might still have to spend that second round pick, maybe, you know, trade into the first to get a quality player. So you don't obviously love the insurance and to have a talented player, but I mean, I think you need to make some kind of significant move there anyway, even if you do re-sign Trent Brown. So it'd be interesting to see what would happen depending on what happens with the coaching situation and it fills it down. He's like, all right, I'm not going to mess with you anymore. No more games. I'm just going to expect you to do your job. Uh, we're going to get in my personal prediction. I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I, I floated this in the media room the other day and I was kind of met with laughs, but I, I believe it. Like if I had to predict right now, I think Vidarian Lowe is the week one starter at left tackle next year. Not because I think he should be, but I just, I could see a scenario in which the Patriots, you know, they have to use the top pick on a quarterback and, mm -hmm. I'd assume that then then they would use that second round pick, which would be like 34 or 35th overall on a tackle. But what if they don't? What if they, again, don't? What if they wait until the third round, which is still a high pick for a tackle, but maybe that guy's just not ready day one. Like that happens. Mm -hmm. You want him to be. Like if you're going to use a high pick on a tackle, you'd want him to be ready day one. But if he's not, what do you, you know, what do you do? Uh, unless they go out and, and get a big free agent. But I feel like they're going to go the draft route. Um, and so I just can easily see a world in which Vidarian Lowe with another offseason under his belt. I do think he, I do think he played well down the stretch here. I, again, like we talked about before, I think there've been times where he also <laughs> played very, very poorly. Um, mm. but he get, you know, you get the right coaching, you, you set up the line around him. Like it just wouldn't shock me if that is just the situation week one next year until, uh, the giraffe pick is ready. That just, I could see it happening. I don't think that's a crazy idea, especially because that's pretty much how they're set up now. Like you said, if they get a young guy, unless you're going to spend money on somebody else, you need a veteran and he would be your veteran most guy in the room. Even coming into the Patriots, like I, I talked to him earlier in the season, he had to learn a different way to pass block because for whatever reason in Minnesota, they teach you to block outside in, which makes absolutely zero sense. But you're learning new techniques. Then that was put on its head even more because once Adrian Clem had to leave due to health reasons, then Belichick comes in and starts teaching them Skarnecchia's system. And then it's a whole you know cluster there. So maybe if you get a consistent offensive line coach who's more experienced, has a history of success, and can actually put his players in position to succeed, maybe we see some kind of jump from Bedarian low. Uh, real quick, we're going to get into the recent news we found out today about Vrabel, McDaniels, Pioli, some potential reunions in New England. First, quick word from our friends at SeatGeek. Be right back. I've been looking for the best deal on Celtics tickets. And with over 28 million downloads, SeatGeek is the number one rated ticketing app. There are more than 70,000 events every single day on SeatGeek, including concerts, sports festivals, and more. With the NFL, NBA, and NHL seasons of full swing, you don't want to miss out. SeatGeek has your tickets to every game. Plus, artists like Travis Scott are on tour. They put all the tickets across the web in one place to make sure you're getting a good deal. Each ticket is rated on a scale of 1 to 10, so look for the green dots. Green means good and red means bad. Every ticket is backed by their buyer guarantee, and SeatGeek is the only site that lets you return your tickets ahead of the event with swaps. So as you know, I always come through for you guys. You can use my code DREAMERSPRO for $20 off tickets at SeatGeek. That's $20 off your first purchase with promo code DREAMERSPRO. Make sure you check the link in the description to download the app.
So news broke earlier today that Mike Vrabel was fired as head coach of the Tennessee Titans. Had a great first four seasons, winning seasons, won coach of the year just two seasons ago. But the past two years, he did have losing seasons. A lot of that was due to the roster situation in Tennessee. And reportedly, he did not get along with general man manager Rand Carthon. And it seemed like the Titans decided to go with the general manager and find a new head coach rather than uh, retain Vrabel and then just go out and find a new general manager as it was Carthon's first season. And it was actually reported by Bleacher Report's Jordan Schultz yesterday that Vrabel would have had interest in returning to New England if he was released. So with everything going on with Bill Belichick, it seems like Vrabel is at the top of a lot of people's head coaching candidates list. Obviously, he already said he might want to come back to New England. He referred to New England as we when he came back for the uh, Hall of Fame speech. So do you think that he should be the top candidate for New England as the potential head coach and replacement? And if Belichick stays, do you still think there's a spot for him on the staff with Gerard Mayo already here and seeming like he might be the succession plan? For Vrabel on the staff with Gerard yes. Mayo? Yes. No, I, I think he's probably he's probably the top head coaching candidate right now. Mm -hmm. I'd assume, right? I mean, other than Belichick, if Belichick is gone. Right, um, right. You know, I think it wasn't long ago where we were saying Mike Vrabel might be like one of the two or three best head coaches in football. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's what losing the last two years will do. Um, but it was clear that it was not a functional relationship with it, with with uh, the Titans general manager and that things had just, I mean, he didn't have a good roster over there and he deserves some of that blame for sure. But, you know, I think you couldn't have drawn this up any better if you're the crafts. Um, this is like exactly the candidate who needed to shake free for them. You know, mm -hmm. I think if, if Rabel wasn't available, I mean, that's when you really, when you really started getting into the territory of like, well, what is a better option for the Patriots? Like is just giving it, handing over the keys to Gerard Mayo. Like, how is that an immediate upgrade? How does that get you to where you want to be right away? Um, mm -hmm. and if, if it's not Gerard Mayo, you know, what are your other options out there? Um, and so it just, I think that kind of fed into the notion of like, well, maybe the crafts will second, will, will think twice about this and they'll ultimately retain Belichick because the, the backup options aren't any, aren't any good. Um, mm. And, but with, you know, Frable coming free, I think changes all that. I think uh, that would be an, an excellent hire for, for them. Uh, he should be the top candidate. And I mean, honestly, just personal feeling like, I, I think you got to do it. Um, the, 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 it's, they got to, you know, pull the cord on, 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 on Belichick. You know, I know there are arguments for him staying, um, but I just think it's time. Uh, I think if Belichick mm -hmm. was being honest, he probably believes it's time. Everyone believes it's time. Um, and Mike Vrabel is the perfect replacement for a variety of reasons. And I think they should just try and make this happen as soon as possible, even though I believe NFL rules would prevent it from happening like any sooner than January 22nd or so. Right. And I will say I've been a proponent for Gerard Mayo I, I think maybe I'm just holding on to that leash just because I really like the idea of him becoming a coach. I feel like he's done so well in the capacity he's been in, his experience with the team, his uh, experience outside of football. You know, a lot of people tend to expect that Mayo is just going to be another Bill Belichick. I think that couldn't be further from the truth because no, he no. carries himself completely differently. And, and I feel like business savvy, his business background, he's embraced analytics. Like he's kind of like a modern, modernized Belichick in that regard. But I just think exactly. it's great with experience. Like, Gerard Mayo, I think, is going to be a great head coach one day. But and there are mm. some reports out there that the team feels this way, that it's just too early for him, that like mm. their ideal scenario was Belichick's going to coach here for a couple more years, you know, get break that record. Then hopefully Mayo's ready. But right now, I might be too soon, but it's not too soon for Mike Vrabel.
And that's the thing. For me, it was if the Crafts don't think Mayo's ready, then that's like done deal. Uh, you know, if, if he's not uh, in a position where, like, like you said, you want somebody who can turn this around quickly. And if that's not Mayo, I completely understand. I'm all for Vrabel. Maybe Mayo sticks around, you know, gets an elevation or something. You also got to Marcus Covington. It's a really great defensive staff. There's a lot of yeah. candidates to potentially. And also, we saw it reported that um, uh, was Adam. Uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on. Um, and thank you, Adam Peters could potentially be handcuffed with Vrabel in a situation where that's a general manager who he does see eye to eye with. And I mean, if you can get a general manager and a head coach who are in lockstep to bring into your organization where you've got draft capital you got money you've got a really good defense you have a good offensive line to start with it still needs some pieces but you have the capital to rebuild that side of the ball and make it look a lot different I would agree honestly you talked me into very believing more I, I I'm kind of doing it about face so I really like that perspective last thing before I get you out of here Another couple of reunions that have been linked to the Patriots. Ben Bowen reported today that Scott Pioli could be interested in coming back to the Patriots in a general manager position if Belichick stays. And Josh McDaniels could come back on the offensive staff if Bill Belichick stays. Now, the McDaniels part from Pioli makes sense. You know, I don't love it because he still seems like a guy who would defer to Bill for the final. Totally. And, you know, I don't know how much it gives you a different perspective, I guess, but I don't know how much that really helps you. But with McDaniels, obviously did a great job. He's a great offensive coordinator. Nobody's doubting that. I think just on paper, he did it, but he did do a better job than Bill O'Brien. Although, you know, Bill O'Brien's one season had Hernandez and Gronkowski. That's pretty good setup. But at the same time, if Belichick stays, does he fire Bill O'Brien and then say, all right, McDaniels, it's your ship again? Do they work together? Because that's a weird situation where it's two guys who have been on the team as coordinators and quarterbacks coaches, big personalities, big voices. What's your take on the McDaniels and the POA situation? Do you think they'd be a good fit? And for McDaniels specifically, how do you think that would even work? Well, on Belichick potentially firing Bill O'Brien, like the one thing there is we don't know his contract details, but I have to imagine just given his background and pedigree and and also how important it was for the Patriots to secure that hire last offseason, I bet he's a pretty well-paid assistant. And so it's usually yeah. not Belichick's MO to fire a guy, have him be on, on, on the books, even though they're separate books, and then go work for free somewhere else. Like mm -hmm. I would just be surprised um, if they did that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, how how do him and McDaniels work together? Um, you know, especially where all the stuff that we learned in the Herald story about the hierarchy with the offensive coaching right. staff with uh, Will Lying or with Bill O'Brien at the top, then Will Lying and Evan Rothstein and how that kind of, you know, so distrust with the other staffers and with some of the players not knowing what to do. Now you add Josh McDaniels in there. Like, what's that? What's that dynamic like? I just, I don't mm -hmm. see how that could work. Like on paper, if you're building a Madden coaching staff, coaching staff, like, <laughs> exactly. that's awesome. You know, I mean, you win, but I just don't, I don't see how that benefits anybody. Um, but it would be fascinating to see if Vrabel's the head coach, what he would do because he previously coached under Bill O'Brien. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> is he going to come in and fire his old boss? Like I just, and, and insert McDaniels. Like I just, there's so many interesting former Patriot like dynamics in play here with all this stuff that it'll be, it's just going to be fascinating to see how it all shakes out. Yeah, bottom line, like you got to maintain some health on your coaching staff because the roster is one problem, but it's, it got way worse when that report did come out and you were like, oh my God, it's it's completely an internal, I don't want to say nightmare, but it definitely wasn't good. And real quick, I am curious because if Mike Vrabel does come in and replace Bill Belichick, he worked under Bill O'Brien. He was a linebackers coach for O'Brien for three years, then became his defensive coordinator. But you've also got Arthur Smith 
who was just released by the Falcons and is on the market, who also worked for Mike Vrabel. So how do you think that would potentially work? And like you mentioned, O'Brien might have a contract that keeps him locked in. Do you think that maybe Vrabel tries to make it work where he brings in Arthur Smith in some capacity? Or do you think, you know, he maybe gives Bill O'Brien the keys and says, hey, the offense is yours. I'm going to handle most of the defense and be the CEO who handles the players and everything. How would you see that potentially working out? Well, that's a great question. The Arthur Smith angle is fascinating because, like, I bet Robert Kraft would like to do McDaniels. Like, mm-hmm. I, 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 he loves Josh McDaniels. He trusts Josh McDaniels. Um, I bet Josh McDaniels would like to be here, all mm-hmm. that stuff. Um, but, like, uh, if are you going to hire Vrabel and then right from the get-go do the, okay, but you can't, you know, you can't hire your full staff. Like, I'm going to control some of the staffs you hire. Like, so I don't know. I mean, I, I think if you hire Vrabel, you have to say hire whoever you want. And then if I'm Mike Vrabel, like, he probably would go with Arthur Smith, right? Like, that's the guy mm-hmm. he knows uh, that he's comfortable with. Um, but at the same time, it's like reuniting with Josh McDaniels just makes so much sense. And I don't know where else Josh McDaniels could go unless he pairs up with Bill with the Chargers or something. Um, so if, if you know, if if Bill Belichick is here, I feel like McDaniels is going to be here one way or the other. We saw that report from Jeff Howe. But if Mike Vrabel's here, I don't know. I, I kind of like the Arthur Smith idea that, that, that you're floating. I feel like that makes a lot of sense. Um, and is Billy right. out the door if that happens? Or do they try to make that work? No, it's like a lot of... I put you on the spot here. I'll tell everybody. This was something I kind of came up with last minute, but it is fascinating. I would say, no, if I... Gun to my head, um, I would say you hire Mike Vrabel, Bill O'Brien stays, and you give up Bill O'Brien the freedom to hire his full staff, um, you know, because I think Will Long was a good hire. Uh, You Mm -hmm. give Bill Bill O'Brien the freedom to hire his full staff, you know, and and, and just go from there. Um, That's what I think would happen. That's what I would do. Um... But it all depends. Like, how does Mike Vrabel feel about it? I mean, he's not afraid to 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 make some bold decisions and 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 do what he wants to do. And I just have to assume the crafts would give him that leeway to do that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, Bill O'Brien would stay. That would be my guess. Appreciate your time, man. Thank you for getting me more on the Vrabel bandwagon. I was, you know, my Mayo thing, I was a little hesitant, but now I'm a little more excited. So appreciate you. Please, this is your time. Plug any work you got coming down the pipeline and uh, anything else you want people to be looking out for. Uh, yeah, you, again, you can follow me on X at, at Dak Randall. And as far as things coming down the pipeline. You gave in um, the X? You gave in the X? Yeah, I get, I get, man. I'm pro that. <laughs> it's a different conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. not one of the haters. Uh, I'm, I'm fine with it. <laughs> Um, but as far as things coming down the pike, like I think I'm, I'm in the same camp as you and really everybody right now, just waiting and reacting, uh, with the Belichick stuff. And it's hard mm-hmm. to really plan too much beyond that. Cause it's like, I, I need to know what happens there first. Um, yeah. and then, and then, you know, we'll get going. I got a couple other things I'm, I'm kind of trying to, to, to put together, but you know, nothing to announce or anything like that. And make sure you read Dakota's piece on Ness and about Trent Brown. Really illuminating stuff, just in case there's anything we didn't touch tonight. Thank you all for watching. Again, thank you, Dakota, for your time. Take care of yourselves.